Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Hello and welcome back to Forma, a podcast featuring conversations with authors, teachers, creators, and community leaders who are carefully contemplating the nature and practice of classical education and the arts. I am David Kern, and in this week's episode of Forma, I am joined by an old friend, Mr. John Hodges from the Center for Western Studies. Mr. Hodges, thank you so much for joining us on the show. My great pleasure, David. It's always good to be involved. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Is it... Uh, is it is the summer heat in Memphis, has it, has it come on yet? Or are you going to have some spring still? <laughs> just did. Just right. did. Somebody put a quarter in it and it turned into three. <laughs> and uh, we, are, <laughs> we are suffering. Well, <laughs> it's, it, it's probably not that different than it is in uh, Carolina. It's yeah. probably about the same uh, uh, latitude. And we, uh, we get a, you know, we get a good spring. We got a good spring this year. It's very nice. But then suddenly it's like somebody threw a switch. So we're yeah. going to talk about music. And, yeah. um, I, as we're talking about this, I, I got to think about how, when I was a kid, I used to always think about seasons or special events or whatever. And in my head, I would associate different kinds of music with them. Now, obviously oh, yeah. Vivaldi did this in his own way. <laughs> Uh, but do you ever think of seasons in terms of like a kind of music? And I guess the easy way of talking about this is we think about, oh, that song, particularly with pop music. Oh, that's a song. I would listen to that album with the windows down while I'm driving in the summertime. Oh, sure. That album sure. is best for cozying up around a fire with a blanket and a book. Do you think uh, about music in that way too? That's not really what we're here to talk about, but I'm curious. <laughs> I guess there's certainly uh, when you associate it with the, the calendar year of the church, the church yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. year, I do. Yeah, certainly. Uh, well, there's Easter spring kind of music. There's winter, uh, winter Christmas kind of music. Yeah. yeah. Well, we're here to talk about music and we're going to talk a little bit about pop music in, in a while. We, we talked on the periphery of that subject on your previous podcast when oh, you came on. Right, right. So I thought let's talk about that a little bit more because we, we received a few questions about that. Oh, cool. But next week, you're going to actually be kicking off a series of webinars you're doing for us. And I'd like to give you a chance to kind of explain what you're going to talk about. So there's oh, boy. Four, okay. four episodes, I think, what, May, uh, May, June, July, and August. Is that right? That's right. That's right. Last Thursday of every month starting uh, next week. So, so yeah. yeah, can you can you give a little preview? Maybe a, I don't know, not the elevator pitch exactly, but a little preview of what you're going to be talking about. The, the webinar is called What is This Stuff of Music? And this uh -huh. first one is Expression in Early Western Music. And for everyone, anybody who's interested, it's uh, going to be next, uh, next Thursday, May 31st at 4 p.m. Eastern time. So, okay, the details are out of the way. What, what's, what's your preview of that? Yeah, well, what I'm, what I'm hoping to do is to kind of cover a lot of Western uh, history, music, music history uh, in these four sessions. But before we get into the, the history part of it, I want to spend a little bit of time on what, the, what music is actually made of. What is this stuff of music? Because for, uh, you know, every art has its own language, kind of. You know, you have to learn something about line and color and, 
and the composition and, uh, and various materials for visual art. And it's the same way with musical art. You have melody and harmony and rhythm and, and tone colors and, uh, and things like that that are all the, the form and, and uh, timbres, you know, tone colors. And uh, what am I missing? Uh, texture, of course, textures of, of music. Um, and if you if you get a sort of handle on some of those uh, elements of music, then when you actually listen to something, you can start listening for what the composer is doing uh, with those various elements. And it just opens your eyes to the art form as a language. So I want to talk about that a little bit first. But then in the latter part of the first session, um, we want to go back to the early part of the of the uh, 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 Western Western history and talk about music in the hands of the pre-Socratics maybe and uh, and certainly in the hands of the early church in the first few centuries uh, after Jesus uh, and uh, get an idea of, of where all the, the stuff of music went to begin with mm-hmm. and then because that serves as a great foundation for uh, everything that's come afterward. Then in the following sessions, thinking about uh, talking about the, you know, the Renaissance and the Baroque period in one and the, and the, uh, the sort of enlightenment period in another. So maybe the 17th and 18th and 19th centuries. Uh, and then one on uh, 20th century music that'll include a whole lot of different things. The 20th century goes kind of wild with top. <laughs> yeah. So we're cover, we'll cover a lot of territory in a short amount of time. Well, we certainly hope people will join you for that conversation. I'm absolutely looking forward to that. And thank you for well, I hope so. one, one of the f- most fun things I, I get to do is to lead people through a piece of music and talk about how to listen to it and how to get something out of it. So uh, that's what we'll be trying mm-hmm. to accomplish. Well, not to pile on the compliments too early or anything, but I know that one of my favorite things about when you speak at our conferences is when you do just that, when you put a piece of music on and you pause it here and there and you kind of explain it and break it down. And you have a, uh, you have a, it's not just knowledge. It's, it's, I don't know. It's excitement. I think you have an excitement about it that is, uh, kind of contagious. Um, well, it's, it comes out of love. I think I I really do (laughs) love it. And that shows through people get enthused when you're enthusiastic, it sort of rubs off on others. Hopefully. Well, let, let's use that as kind of a segue to talk about cultivating a love of music and perhaps cultivating a love of the right kinds of music. For most of us, um, to some varying degree, we have an affection for pop music and in some degree, whether it's the pop music of our childhood or something like that. There's probably certain songs that yeah. at the very least, there's certain, there's certain songs that appeal to us, but we all deal with students or the children in our homes uh, and their various... Uh, affection for for the pop music of their age or, or perhaps even of our of the you know when their parents were younger mm-hmm. um depending on how uh how deep they went onto the spotify you know the, the oldies <laughs> spotify playlist and so forth um right. so one of the questions we get all the time is to what degree should i give my children the freedom to choose the music that they listen to mm. and that is a complicated question but i'm going to toss that out there uh, and, and kind of see where, see where that takes us. So what advice would you have for somebody who, who's kind of in that, that age where, the, where their children are starting or their students in their classroom, say, are starting to want to make decisions for themselves and they're discovering things on their own, either because they went down the Spotify rabbit hole or because their friends are listening to something or for whatever reason, they are, uh, you know, kind of asserting their own independence. And part of that is the desire to choose the kind of things they listen to. Sure. Um, but we want to 
cultivate, you know, um, virtuous listeners and and we also want to protect our kids to some degree. So what advice do you have for for that kind of situation? Well, it's it's tricky because you do kind of want to let your children learn and grow and be able to make sense of things for themselves. And so much of music is a kind of enjoyment listening uh, mm-hmm. that, uh, that, and you want them to be able to sort of make some choices for themselves. You know, it's not that much different. It seems to me though, in the long run, than making decisions uh, about any kind of uh, popular uh, entertainment in in the world, you know, there are certain at a certain age you won't show your ch- your child uh, uh, movies, maybe that you would show them later on, or uh, you know, you wouldn't uh, take them to a play or a um, something something like that that is that is beyond their ability to comprehend or make sense of. Because it seems to me what you really want to build in a child is the ability to become discerning for himself. And, you know, it's tempting, I think, without that piece of the puzzle, that the goal is to be discerning. Without that piece, uh, all, all, uh, I don't know, artistic endeavor becomes a kind of um, personal entertainment. And so if it entertains me, it's good. If it doesn't entertain me, it, it isn't. And uh, uh, with that kind of lack of discernment about whatever it is you're watching, whether it's movies or music, listening to music, uh, uh, looking at art, um, I don't think they'll ever be able to, uh, to, to think their way through something. You want to, you want to sort of give them the, the tools by which to help them discern about what they're watching. I remember when my son was very young, uh, he'd be watching a cartoon that uh, was certainly age appropriate and so on. But at the same time, I, was, I would ask him questions and say, well, why do you suppose the, the character did that? Hmm. You know, why, did, why, did the, why did the mouse you know, run away from the cat or something, whatever it is, and, and get him to sort of even at that age start asking questions, probing questions, not allowing the artwork to just sort of pour in one ear and out the other and not you know, in, engage the mind in between, uh, in between the ears. And, uh, uh, I hope that that helped him learn from a, an early age to start, uh, being, being discerning about everything he watches so that even at 28 or whatever he is now, he's still looking at movies and asking questions. You'd get a lot more from a movie or from a piece of music or from an artwork in any case, a poem or something, uh, when you interrogate it a little bit, I and uh, so those are the sorts of things you'd want to do with music too. And the question is, how do you do that? Yeah, I was going to say that's a little different than, the, you know, maybe the questions are a little more obvious for, at least for the less musically inclined among us, such as me, um, or the less knowledgeable, we'll say. I don't, musically, less musically inclined, who's less, mus- everybody's musically inclined to some degree, but less knowledgeable. You know, when you're look, watching a, a movie, there's some obvious questions, I think, that, that are easy to ask even a young child. Right. Um, what right. are some of the questions that you would recommend asking um, our students and our kids as they're, as they're growing up, particularly about music and, and sure. the kind of questions that will help them cultivate um, discernment? Well, I think what you want to do is start asking what the possibilities are for music. Think, think mm-hmm. of it this way. Think of music, the sound that you're hearing, as clay in the hands of the potter. So it gives you an opportunity to kind of, I don't know, cross, what's that word for that? Um, 
cross your senses anyway, to, to think in visual terms about something that's not visual. Hmm. Um, yeah. Come to me in a second. To, but anyway. to, kind of, to kind of incarnate something? Well, maybe that. I mean, I see. I think the sound itself is a kind of incarnation of mm, an idea. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, but I think um, it, um, I was right on the tip of my tongue. I can't think of the word. Um, but anyway, think of the think of the sound itself as something that's moldable, mm. like like clay in the hands of a potter. Mm. And then you can ask questions like, why did the composer make it that way and not this way? Hmm. And, and certain certain elements, if, especially if you're dealing with vocal music, music that has words, then you can ask the question, why did he make the melody go up on this word and down on that one? Was there a reason? Hmm. Why did he slow down the tempo here and then speed it up again here? You know, because hmm. without without the ability to sort of imagine the thing as a manipulable thing that is a, a, a bit of clay you might not even recognize that the music could go another way hmm. you know so, so would you say that until until kids are, are able to have these kind of conversations and contemplate these sorts of things that we should not let them um choose the kind of music that they listen to on their own well or is that putting it too finely i i think that i think we have to introduce to music to them before they're able to handle this kind of conversation. But uh, that means yeah. that you have to do the discerning right? as the parent. Right. So I wouldn't want to say, don't listen to music at all, but I would want <laughs> right. to say, pick some things that you know are really well crafted and let them listen to those and let them fill their storehouse of their imagination with, you know, well-crafted things. Hmm. So would you say that, you know how C.S. Lewis talked about the idea that when you're reading books, you some you know high percentage of the books should, or for every new book, he reads two old books or whatever you put it. Yes, right. Would, right. Is that the same? I mean, would you apply a similar principle to that in terms of listening well, yeah, to my children? Think, I think in the in the spirit of that, that uh, old old ones, old bits of music in this case, old books uh, have the um, the benefit of more uh, listenings, you know, that your that your your ancestors have already voted on it. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. You know, you, you have the benefit of their wisdom. So yeah, there's there's certain pieces that uh, have stood the test of time and and uh, you know are, are are well crafted. And when you get those in your ears, then I think you probably. Uh, appreciate the beauty of them more because it's, it's done at a kind of intuitive level uh, when you can actually do it on a cognitive level. Yeah, there's even a, you know, Plato actually talked this way. There's a, there's a bit in the symposium, I think it is, where he says that music uh, should be taught to children before they are able to reason because the beauty of the music actually attaches to their hearts. So their their hearts become accustomed to and desire and uh, continue to desire muse uh, uh, beauty, and mm. the kind of harmony of good music in their hearts sets a pattern for them. So that later on, I'm badly paraphrasing Plato, but this is his argument. So that later on, you actually can learn to appreciate other music, and beyond that, to think metaphorically about harmony in visual art or in poetry. 
Uh, and then beyond that, metaphorical harmony in, in things in your life like, um, you know, an honest business deal hmm. where, where hmm. I, I'm harmon- my, my, I'm paying X and he's giving me Y and the two of us are going away happy. Uh, and, that, and that is a kind of harmony, kind of a, a willing harmony. And then beyond that, he says, uh, there's the harmony of a good marriage. So what he wants, is, and, and then ultimately, I guess he talks about marriage, but ultimately he talks about uh, the harmony of justice in the, in the city, in the polis, that justice is a kind of harmony. So it's almost like the beautiful things, the, um, the attention or the, uh, I'm trying to think of a non-negative word, like inundation sounds too negative, but just oh, yeah. being surrounded by beautiful things and the beauty of those things sort of works almost, I don't like the inversion of a addiction or building up a tolerance or something. Those are yeah, the negative side like of it. it. Yeah. Cause we have a kind of intuition or imagination at a kind of sub rational level. Maybe that's fair. Mm-hmm. To, I don't know what the so right we're is. filling their subconscious with beautiful things to inform that will ultimately inform their conscious. conscious. That's what I, that's what I think he's trying to say. That's mm-hmm. right. That we, we train them to appreciate these things, not by it immediately by doing it cognitively, rationally. Uh, we just introduce beautiful things to them so that they, they're on, on a kind of intuitive level, they attach their hearts to those things. And then they desire those things to continue in the things that they encounter from that point on in their lives. Hmm. Now, but later on, what they can do is what I'm describing here, which is to, you know, to, to take uh, take music apart in a sense to analyze it and see which elements are being treated in what different ways. And as you do that, you begin to gain a lot of respect for the, the ingenuity and the imagination of really fine uh, composers. Mm. And it seems that. Yeah. And it seems to me that the, the, that what would happen is as they begin to stretch their own sort of tastes and begin to discover things for themselves, that sort of the beauty that's been implanted and taken root in their subconscious is going to sort of create almost an inner dialectic that between, you know, between what's, what's, what they have come to understand as beautiful throughout their life. And then that becomes, comes in sort of either in contact and perhaps even conflict with the new things that they're discovering. And that's where then that becomes a dialectic of discovery sort of going on within them. That's right. And what I find is just like in good education in general, if you introduce something to a young person and then show how it is that it was crafted, uh, it, it, it gives you a kind of desire for that level of craftsmanship to continue. You know, if you, if you, uh, put it in a, in a food category for a minute, if you have a really well-crafted meal, um, you, there's, there's a delight in it. And Mm -hmm. so then if somebody gives you, you know, cotton candy for a meal, you might say, well, that's, that's nice. But as I, (laughs) as I get into it, there's nothing there. Yeah, you know, yeah, there's no, not, there's, there's no substance really there. Maybe that's not the best example. Uh, but there's definitely how, no substance with cotton candy. Yeah, literally. But, there isn't any <laughs> but I mean, um, you, I, I pick cotton candy for the reason that it can be pleasurable momentarily, right? It's, right. I mean, it's completely, it's like eating cardboard. You know, it's interesting that you bring this up because 
I was noticing this with my kids. I've I've got you know most listeners know I've got um, four and a five year, or five and six year olds. Oh, wonderful, and then younger as well. But the five and the six year old are playing baseball right now, which oh, some people have heard on other podcasts as well. And when they play, the concession that their you know their coach pitch field or whatever has cotton candy. Sure. And so my wife, you know, out of sheer nostalgia, bought some cotton candy and they tried it. And so they're clamoring for the cotton candy. But I noticed that when they eat cotton candy. Um, or even some, you know, cheap candy or something like that. Yeah. They don't, they want it, but their expressions of how good it is are rarely very um, profound. But right. if right. we're sitting at dinner and so, and it's something that is, you know, something really, really good, whether it's at a restaurant or someone spent a long time making for a holiday or, or just any day. And it's something that they really like Yeah, their expressions, you know, they'll say repeatedly throughout the meal, Oh, this is so good. Or, you know, they'll do the things that kids do. Like they'll, they'll hum while they're eating or they'll go, Hmm, you know, uh-huh. and, sure. they're expressing sure. that that particular thing has a much more, is having a much more profound impact on them than the cheap cotton candy, which they like for a second, but then, then it kind of goes away. That's right. It's, just, it's That's interesting right. how, those things manifest themselves in kids in a way that are, are kind of um, kind of revealing for how we all experience that sort of thing. I think that's right. And I, I think that's how it is with music a little bit too. The danger of course, is if they only ever know cotton candy, mm, yeah, then they may only ever kind of rise to the level of appreciation that comes from eating cotton candy. That is, they're always kind of going, Oh yeah, Hey, I really want cotton candy. Then you have it. <laughs> okay, fine. Hey, I've had cotton candy. But, yeah. but if it was, you know, if they have this other thing to compare it to, then they might, here's the, here's the interesting part. It's not that they say, nah, I don't want cotton candy. It's that they enjoy it to the degree that it can be enjoyed mm. and then let yeah. it go. Yeah. Yeah. You know? So, and I feel that way about a lot of popular music because I'm sorry, a lot of popular music is, is the musical equivalent of cotton candy. Yeah. Yeah. You know, but I don't want to say people should never listen to popular music. Well, I'm not saying that I'm, yeah. I'm you know, it used to be back, back, you know, in the seventies or so, a lot of Christians would argue, uh, you know, that rock beats are inherently evil and that kind of thing. Well, I don't think you can say that, but you can say that they're trivial and superficial mm. uh, or, or, um, or maybe that there are a lot of times emotionally manipulative, you know? Yeah. I remember thinking when I was in junior high school and I listened to my sort of uh, records like, uh, you know, Rolling Stones or The Who or some band like that, and it was very empowering. You <laughs> feel strong and powerful. You know, these are great loud <laughs> songs and yeah. power chords and heavy rock beats and stuff. And you think, man, this is, this is exciting. Okay, but there's so much more to music than just that sort of superficial emotional manipulation. And sadly, I think a lot of times in, in our, in our Western culture today, especially in the, in the States, maybe other places too, um, that's all we ever hear. And we have, we think, well, music is just a matter of personal preference. Beauty and music is purely a matter of personal preference. Let's just let the kid from five years old decide what he likes and what he doesn't like. Well, if you let a five-year-old decide what he likes and doesn't like, he's going to pick cotton candy every time. Yeah, you'll never grow out of that, or it will take a long time. 
I was thinking about this idea of the subjective versus the objective in art the other day right. because I was right. talking with some friends about the most recent Star Wars movie that came out in the winter. And one thing we were talking about is how the people who are, and I'm not saying Star Wars is, you know, Mozart or something. I'm, we was just, but that was the context for our conversation. Sure, um, sure. They were talking about how the more, quote, fanboy you are of Star Wars, the less you tended to like it because uh -huh. you had a certain set of personal expectations for what you wanted from it. And if they didn't meet those expectations, then you thought it wasn't very good. That was, ten that tended to be but the perspective, but because these movies took some chances and kind of went outside the star Wars box, you know, they did some things that were objectively of a higher quality than have been in other star Wars movies. Certain cinematic elements were better than in other star Wars movies. And yeah. so today was, you know, some people were saying this is a terrible movie. It's, but the, basically their argument was because it didn't live up to, you know, the previous movies. And some people are saying, well, but look at these other elements. And so it came down to, you know, one side is basically trying to argue for a subjective experience and the other is trying to argue for sort of objective values that are inherent in a work. Yeah, um, that's right. How do, to, to what degree should we value the objective over the subjective in music? And yeah. to what degree should we ask our, students to, to do that as well or is it the job of the teacher and, or the, and the parent to provide objectively great things that will help yeah. sort of cultivate yeah. the subjective values of a person well i think we have to say right at the outset that the that the appreciation of beauty is a combination of an objective and a subjective element so i don't think we can say that um as our, as our culture does, we can't say subjectivity is everything. If I don't like it, it's not good. But neither can we say the opposite end of the spectrum, that if it's well-crafted, that means I'm going to, I'm going to always like it. Mm -hmm. uh, or if it's not well-crafted, then I won't like it. The, the, the problems are that there's so many variables in that combination of those two things that have to be included uh, to be able to properly understand it. Uh, Thomas Aquinas argued that beauty was both of those things. At one point, he says beauty is that which has the characteristics of unity, proportion, and clarity, which are objective characteristics. On the other hand, he also says beauty is that which pleases upon being perceived, which is the subject, subjective side, right? Mm. So I think a proper understanding of subjective and objective is important. For example, when I say objective, I'm not saying true. I'm saying it belongs to the characteristics of the object. Mm. The, the object has certain characteristics and we're evaluating those. Uh, if, when I talk about subjective, talking about the feelings that I have, the response that I have as a viewer, as a listener, uh, and, and I'm not saying that those are not true because they're just as true, right? How you right. feel about right. it is truth. That's, that's how you feel. But then you throw in the variable of the fact that I think uh, the fall actually does cause uh, a rift in our um, subjective preferences. So we, in a sense, we, we can't just say like the world seems to say around us. As Christians, we can't say like the world says that what I like is what I like and that can't be changed. That's, that's just who I am, you know, and if you ask me to like Garth Brooks when I really like Beyonce, you're asking me to be a different person. Well, that's, that's, the, that's the sinfulness of me in a sense that I don't mean to say it's evil. I mean to say that it's, 
that it's uh, broken in a sense. I, mm-hmm. My preferences yeah. and God's, God's desire for my preferences aren't necessarily the same thing. So maybe it's possible to work toward appreciating the objective side because that's the side that I think we know the least about. Uh, and in, in, in learning more and more about the objective side, we come to modify our preferences a little bit and uh, learn to love things that are worth loving, which is, of course, the goal of education. Hmm. So uh, that's, I think music is one of those places where uh, the, the, the contrasts are maybe the most striking. Because uh, when you're talking math, you can't. You can either love that two and two equals four, or not love it. I guess, but <laughs> it, 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 the question of whether you love it or not almost never comes up. <laughs> it's yeah. just a question of learning the facts, right, about right. the multiplication tables or something. Right. But in right. music, there's also this this subjective attachment, this affection attachment uh, to what you're listening to, or revulsion, the opposite of it. You know, I'm not interested in it. Uh, uh, subjectively. And uh, so I think it's good to sort of park our, our preferences at the door for a minute and ask questions and start learning what goes on in the music itself and then talk about what we like and what we don't like. So how much should we worry or, or well, yeah, how much should we worry if our students don't love music that say the tradition has determined as worthwhile as true good and beautiful or maybe another way of putting it is when should this begin to concern us i don't know if yeah um clarification helps at all (laughs) yeah yeah i know that's the way people sort of formulate that question in their minds because it's but it sounds when when we ask the question that way and i ask it that way too this is not a complaint but i'm saying when we look at the problem from that angle, it sounds like tradition is always oppressive. Mm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. When, when should I, you know, come to the point where I recognize that the music that everybody else likes is actually something I ought to like? So well, should, that sounds oppressive to me. <laughs> yeah. So should we, should we avoid um, using the tradition and we'll use that. I mean, there's lots of ways that could be used, but we'll just say yeah. the music, the, the, music tradition that is in which certain works of art and certain artists have been deemed over time to be worth listening to. Um, should we avoid using that tradition um, as a measure by which we judge our children's and our students' um, musical discernment? I mean, like in other words, not maybe, maybe within ourselves, we do, we, we can use it, but should we avoid saying to our kids, well, look, the tradition says this, so you're wrong. Yeah, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I mean, and I know that I'm right. stating that in a kind of a caricature way, but that's kind of what we do sometimes, right? Yeah, yeah, I think we do kind of say that, well, especially if we don't really know the material ourselves. So I'm just going by what it is everybody else has always said. That's right. not exactly wrong, but it would be better if we, you know, could talk about why it is that it's a good thing. Instead of, instead of saying you ought to, you ought to like this, it's a little like saying you have to lot like your broccoli or something, you know. So but, that we so maybe there's a way. Maybe there's a way to show what could be um, good about it hmm. before we say you ought to like it. Hmm. So okay. So then maybe so we shouldn't even at least for a while. Our concern shouldn't be with 
this objective one way or another. We should be teaching them principles. Right. Well, I think, I think that le- leading yeah. to the conversation about the subjective and yeah, I realize I, again, I'm oversimplifying. Well, you know, and all of this is kind of theoretical. It'd be, it'd be maybe better. Maybe in the, in the uh, webinar, we can, we can enter into this a little bit with question and answer periods. And I could play mm-hmm. something that I could show, you know, specifically why this piece of music is well-crafted. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah. And then, and you can decide for yourself whether you want to continue the tradition. The, the beauty of a tradition, I think, is that you, you, uh, huh, you know, you, it's only traditional because your dad liked it. <laughs> you know, if you don't, then the tradition stops. So it really does matter. I mean, if you're going to carry on the tradition, it's only going to be because you really were convinced by, that it was well crafted and not just because everybody else likes it. That's a kind of, uh, what's the word? Um, not Philistinism, but maybe, um, dilettantism. Maybe that's it. You know, where, well, I go to the opera because opera, every opera is high quality, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I have no idea why it's that way. I just know <laughs> right. everybody's always said that. Well, I don't care about in, inculcating that kind of, that yeah, kind that's of, not different than liking, I don't know. Just who, Kanye West because everybody else likes Kanye West. Well, exactly. Exactly. It can work on any level. It doesn't matter what level it is. And I'd love to talk about how to, how to sort of see the relationship of popular music to more traditional music. But what I'm afraid of is in a conversation like this, that we're sounding or that I'm sounding like I'm saying, uh, you know, popular music is trashy and terrible and cotton candy like, and Mozart and Beethoven are not. And so you need to learn to listen to Mozart and Beethoven and stop listening to all that other stuff. It's nowhere near that simple. Right, right. Music, music is a human expression. It's a human crafty thing. We, we make music all the time. My, my wife is not a musician, but when our son was born, she made up songs to sing to him and they were wonderful. But they were her own little songs, right? And his own little songs. So yeah. it's just a human thing that we sing, that we sing things. And then we, then we make instruments and play things. So the question isn't, you know, how, how do I tap into some sort of, you know, old-fashioned way of looking at all this so that I can be, you know, uh, well-versed or something? It's, it's uh, how can I make sense of the human the human activity of making music because you know Mick Jagger is a human being and Michael Jackson is a human being and Beyonce is a human being and Mozart is a human being and like that I'd rather look at it like you know from that level and then you then you start thinking not so much about individual people or even I guess a little bit like styles maybe you think of styles and then you can consider within a style whether a particular work is excellent or not mm. Because mm. excellent reggae music and mediocre reggae music are quite different. Mm. So yeah. would you would you say that if for the for our children who are, um, you know, getting into pop music, or would you encourage them? Say, you know, if you say, okay, so for for some reason, jazz or country music speaks speaks to them. Like for some reason, their whatever longings are within them are being responded to by that particular genre or style of music. Would you then say? Um, what I like you, would you encourage them to, to dive into a discovery of what 
the tradition the tradition of that genre or style is so they understand it more deeply so they can understand what's going on before you would encourage them to try to listen to something better is, i mean or would you does that question make sense well yeah i guess if, if the word better has any meaning it's going to mainly have meaning within the genre right it's it's a little hard to compare you know a a, a a 13th century motet with, you know, a, a jazz piece. So I, I, there are some comparisons now that I think about it. <laughs> but yeah, well, I, but I so I guess what I'm saying is instead of saying you like, okay. So instead of noticing that your kid is listening to country music and you don't like it, you think it's trashy. Instead of saying, I want you to stop listening to that right now. Would you essentially be say something like, let's try to figure out what it is that you like about that and encourage them to try to be more active in questioning their own, you know, love of something not sure. questioning, like, but like help them explore and understand it, try to have those conversations with them as opposed to just tell encouraging them to dismiss it out of hand because you have concerns about it. Well, yes, yes. The answer is yes. But I mean, it depends on what kind of concerns you've got and how old the kid is and all that stuff. If you're listening to, to music that is really encouraging, you know, immoral behavior, or something. Right. Well, then, yeah. Right. I mean, you might want to say, "Let's get rid of that and listen to something else." But if you, I mean, there's a whole lot of country music that's you know well crafted, well interesting, right. and it has roots. Actually, it's got kind of historical roots back in bluegrass and and uh, blues music, maybe and um, folk music, uh, that kind of thing. And right. I think uh, it's it's great fun to actually dive in and see where. Uh, where are the elements that, you know, Kenny Chesney or somebody to don't know much about country music, but you know, somebody, <laughs> yeah. I just look for somebody today that's doing it. Yeah, uh, yeah. You know, where did he get, where did he get his material? What's he, what's he building on? Because all of us are building on the, the uh, you know, the foundations that have been laid in past generations. Mm. So it has a sort of history to it, but also I would say, Okay, I see you. You really love, uh, you know, the kinds of elements of country music, the 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 fun of it, the simplicity of it, the 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 joy of of it. Uh, let's um, let's look at other kinds of music too, and let me show you what goes on in those, and you might find that you like those too. But but I think I put I have to put into place the the, the idea that your preferences are not sacrosanct. Mm-hmm. You know, you're, yeah. you, what, what you like is what you like. It's true, but it's not the most important thing in the world. <laughs> mm-hmm. And it's only, it's really only just saying, uh, you know, you're not the center of the universe. Is there, there a bigger thing than you? Is there a way to say that and express that and still honor the, um, the things that they like, you know, oh, or, sure. or perhaps oh, not sure. dismiss them out of hand? Well, that's right. No, I, I don't. I hope I don't sound like I'm dismissing them out of hand. Well, I'm, I'm not, not suggesting you. You are. Yeah. Right. We, we, just, yeah. I think it's easy to do as parents to sometimes. Absolutely right. Yes. Offer that's right. correction while not being still honoring the things that are going on in their child's hearts. You know the, the the verse in Philippians four that says, "Whatsoever is good, whatsoever is noble, whatsoever is of good report, think on those things." You know. Yeah. I think it's like that, and people people I think misunderstand that to mean that unless the thing you're dealing with is somehow flawless and noble and perfect and, and all that, then uh, you shouldn't be listening to it. And that's not what I'm saying at all. It's actually the other way around. I'm actually saying everything in life is flawed. Everything in this fallen world is flawed. 
don't go looking for the flaws. Whatsoever is good about it, think mm. on that part of it. Mm. You know, whatsoever is good about that country song, think on that. Um, whatever it is that you're listening to, look for what's good there. And I think you'll find that really excellent composers uh, are able to, I'll just pick one thing out of the air, are able to craft their music uh, and to the, to the meaning of the words. The words and the music actually fit together so that the music reflects something of the meaning of the words. And if you find that, when you find composers that do that, you're astonished. Oh, that's why he went up in the melody here and down there, or why, why he's, like I was saying before, sped up here and slowed down there. Why he used this harmonic change on this, this idea, but then when it comes back the next time, he doesn't do it. Why not? Maybe there's a reason. Maybe the second verse has a different uh, meaning, has a different turn at that point in meaning. And so he, did, he crafted his harmonies to fit the meaning of the word. When, when you start seeing stuff like that going on, then when you go to a song that really has no connection between the words and the music, the music's kind of fun and entertaining to listen to, and he just poured words on top of it that didn't have anything to do, could have been other words just as easily then you find, well, it's kind of like cotton candy. You can, you can enjoy it, and, but then it's gone and then you move on. You know, there's you not it, much You there. put it in its place. That's right. It's really a question of hierarchical places and not so much uh, acceptance or rejection. Mm. And I think we, we, we sort of fell into this notion, Christians often fall into the notion that, uh, that what we listen to, what we look at on television, what we watch in movies and what we read and so on, um, is really all about protecting our, ourselves from exposure to the, the evil of the world kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Well, it's too late for that. Now, I'm not saying that for a child who needs to be protected, you shouldn't protect them. But the goal isn't to simply never come into contact with something that you may disagree with or find uh, difficult. Um, the goal is to learn to become to so discerning by that stuff, by, by way, that you can recognize the good when you see it and let the, let the bad go. It does strike me that there's a kind of a profound difference between teaching your children to look for bad things as opposed to teaching them to look for the true good and the beautiful. Because if they've only ever spent their time trying to look for the bad things, then they're going to learn what the bad things look like and they're going to become sort of fixated with the, with the, that's what they're going to learn to identify. And that's all they're going to learn to identify. That's right. Um, they're not going to have the eyes for the true good and the beautiful. That's right. Um, and, and nothing that you come in contact, no person that you come in contact with short of Jesus is going to be flawless. So you can't have any friends and no program <laughs> is going to be perfect. So you can't go to anything and no, you know, eventually you sort of isolate yourself from, from the, from everything. Hmm. That's not what he wanted. Well, I have kept you for the amount of time that I promised I would keep you, maybe a few minutes more. So yeah. before we go here, um, I want to, we'll talk about the center in, in a second, find out what you okay. guys are up to over there. But I'm curious if you, this is, this is the uh, oversimplistic, another oversimplistic question to conclude with, but are there any, um, any artists in the sort of pop music realm that you actually would say could be worth people turning their kids' attention towards? Hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, or, or maybe genres that tend to be more, uh, more in line with that maybe are easier to teach them to look for the true good and the beautiful, as opposed to where you're having to, you know, teach them to look for just the bad things. Yeah, sure. Sure. 
Well, um, I, my problem is I don't spend a lot of time keeping up with the latest things. So I, I'm probably not the best guy to talk to about what's on directly today. I have, I have students at the center who keep me in touch with that sort of stuff. <laughs> so what are you guys listening to? And they name bands that I've never heard of, you know, um, but yeah. I can say, I can say uh, from my own, just off the top of my head, there are a couple of bands. I don't even know these guys are still working together, uh, but there's a, there's a group called Cademan's Call. Have you ever heard of them? Yeah, I have. Yeah. I think Cademan's they're, Call. I don't think they're technically together right now. Yeah, I don't know that they are, but they put out a bunch of albums and and they came up with some really interesting kinds of sounds and and wonderful collaborations and 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 crafty music, music that's that's well crafted and yet also extremely accessible. And I just thought they were they were delightful. Not every song is great, but a lot of them really are very good songs. And we're especially talking about the relationship of the music to the words. They actually get the the, the mood of the thing or the the uh, the meaning of the words across in the music. Um, another group, and I know these guys aren't working together anymore, but they were up until just a year or two ago. Uh, there was a duet called uh, the Civil Wars. Mm-hmm. Run into them? Yeah, yeah. Very talented songwriters and uh, very interesting uh, material they did and terrific performing. Uh, so uh, I thought they were very good. But this is clearly, you know, anybody listening to this that has any knowledge of uh, bands that are out right now will say, you know, that's clearly an old man. Talking. <laughs> <laughs> is there, are there um, other genres that you, that in the pop music world that, that, um, you that you're more into than than others. I mean, that's kind of a silly question. Of course, there are. But like, if you're listening to a pop music genre, where do where do you kind of find yourself? Oh man, well, in, in like, pop, are you a jazz fan? Oh yeah, I love. I think of jazz though as as a kind of folk music. I, I don't think of jazz yeah. as popular music. Yeah, exactly. I guess I'm kind of using it very the term very loosely. You know, as, yeah, sure, sure. But, but yeah, I, I I like jazz very much. I've played a lot of jazz in my lifetime. I'm a drummer, and I've played jazz. In fact, uh, I never uh, knew that about you. Oh, is that right? Yeah, I I actually got. I went to a, a couple of conferences a few years back um, uh, with a, a buddy of mine, Bill Edgar, and uh, he's he's uh, he teaches apologetics at Westminster Seminary in Philadelphia, but he's also a very capable jazz pianist. Hmm. And uh, we both were speaking at these conferences, and so we decided, well, wouldn't it be fun if we could put together a band and and. Uh, and he's got a singer he likes working with and a couple other guys. And so he brought his guys and I got a drum set and we, we played a set or two at each of these conferences. It was great fun. Hmm. So I, and I don't play much anymore. So that was, that was really cool. But anyway, I love jazz. It's fun and great and very interesting and uh, uh, has a lot of history to it. Um, in popular music, I mean, you'll be surprised. I, you know, I, I guess people get in popular music, get kind of attached to the music of their own sort of teenage years and yeah, yeah. college years and that kind of thing. Says a lot, so, actually. No. <laughs> but the funny thing is, I find that while I wasn't so attached to the the music of, you know, I was I was going to college in the seventies, late seventies, and uh, I wasn't so attached to the music of the fifties. But I find that uh, uh, with the what all the electronic devices we have today. Uh, and all the access we've got to all these last 60, 70 years worth of popular music, uh, young people 
are very much aware. People, you know, who are 18 years old today are very much aware of the bands that were big when I was in high school. Mm. And far more than I was when of the bands that were big when my dad was in high school. So it's an interesting thing. And they find, they find the music of the 70s and so on, uh, 60s, 70s, 80s, uh, to be uh, compelling to them. They, they listen to it and enjoy it. So, you know, James Taylor's kind of work and Carole King were big back then. Uh, I play the guitar, so I play some of James Taylor's things. Um, but I used to also play the trumpet in rock bands. And so we played, you know, uh, uh, Steely Dan tunes and we yeah. played... Uh, uh, Chicago tunes and we played uh, Blood, Sweat and Tears kind of things, you know, where the rock band with a brass section. Yeah. Uh, so yeah all yeah. that was important to me. But I, I knew a lot of guys who were into, you know, the, the sort of metal kind of music. I don't know what they call it now. Uh, whatever, whatever Boston and Kansas and, and uh, Journey and bands like that, you know, whatever genre that is, that was very popular. Uh, with a lot of us back then. And I still like to listen to some of that. Um, I, I just find uh, Steely Dan is very complicated, very interesting music to me, but, but a lot of popular music just is like cotton candy. It just is fun to listen to for a minute. And then I'd rather turn it off. I suppose that the, the bands from the 50s, 60s, 70s and so forth have, that are still being listened to yeah. have, they've sort of stood the test of at least some time. That's so right. The ones that are being remembered that, that like your students are listening to are listening to bands that, that were good enough not to fade away. Whereas right. a lot of the stuff that, you know, right now, especially with the, with Spotify and so forth, it's so easy to find music almost anywhere and not very many of the bands that they're listening to now that are new are, they're still going to listen to them in 2050 or whatever. That's right. That's um, how it always is. It was the same then too. Yeah. Sure. When, when Mozart was composing, there were loads of composers that were composing at the same time. And now we, you know, we listen to hardly anybody of that period, uh, but maybe two or three people. And yeah, you know, yeah. Salieri wrote a lot of music, but at the same time that Mozart did, but we don't listen to him. We don't hear him perform very often. Same thing. Point. Well, thank you for your time. Um, oh, glad to do it, David. Always glad to talk to you. Well, thank you. Before we go, tell us what's up at the, the Center for Western Studies. And if anybody uh, wants to learn more about that, it's centerws.com. Right, right. Learn more information well, about that we have, let's see what's going on. We're about to finish our year, our gap year. You know, we do many things here, but one of the main things is the gap year program. And we have students there that come and, and live in uh, in Memphis with uh, host families and uh, study the great books. And so we start reading in Homer and we work our way through to the 20th century and Eliot, T.S. Eliot and Conrad and, and Chesterton and people like that. And uh, <clears throat> uh, listen to a lot of good music and we talk about a lot of paintings and sculptures and architecture, that sort of thing. And in the spring, then we take them to Europe. So we rent an apartment in Paris and one in London, and we uh, go over there and spend a few weeks uh, so that they can see shows and go to museums and see great cathedrals and uh, lots of that sort of thing. Mm. So that's Sounds what, spectacular. Well, it's a great year. It's a, we, we really love the year and enjoy the students very much. And because it's a tutorial program, they get a lot of one-on-one -on -one time with our faculty and uh, we've got, you know, people who are either now teaching college or uh, are just recently you know, retired from teaching college. And so a lot of very 
talented folks that are that are teaching for us. And uh, but in addition to that, we started this year a podcast, and they can find our podcasts now on on our website. I think we have twenty two or so of those up now. So we're way behind you guys, but we're trying to catch up. And uh, but I think we, we talk about some interesting things. It's usually uh, myself and one of other faculty member uh, talking about issues of the day, and uh, hmm. that's that's a lot of fun. So we do those, and then we've got a a, a lecture series that we have started a video lecture series that we're actually going to hopefully sell at the uh, at the Circe conference coming up this summer. Oh, excellent, excellent! And uh, it's called the Radius Project, and it's this particular one is all about uh, how we know what we know. So it's perfect for the theme of our conference this summer Mm. uh, on reason. Hmm. So uh, epistemology and and the place of the imagination in how we know things. Hmm. So we're hoping that to sell that for people who want to uh, uh, supplement their homeschool work with their their young people. Uh, it's good for small group studies and like that. They're 18, 10 minute videos uh, on the subject of how we know things. And uh, that seems so pretty doing, doable. Yeah, I thought it would be I thought it would be useful and helpful, and uh, uh, able to you know small, short enough that it doesn't take up a lot of time, but it could generate a lot of interesting conversations uh, in homeschool groups and uh, in small groups, various places. Hmm. Um, and that, so that's what we've been doing. Of course, I'm doing a lot of lecturing, and I've got some articles to write for various publications. So uh, I'm Stay doing busy. all that too. Yeah, there's plenty to do. Plenty to do. Um, but we're going to miss our students because our final dinner is Monday night, and we're going to let them go after that, and we'll start up again in the fall with our gap year program. But mm-hmm. thanks for asking. Uh, people uh, are always interested in, in uh, getting to know people who are interested in uh, a gap year for their young people, so they could check on our website and get all the information there. And, and uh, my, uh, my email is on there, of course, to director at centerws.com. And the podcast, did you find that under the content tab I saw? You click on That's right. There. That's right. Is it available on iTunes or anywhere else or just on the website? It is available on iTunes. Yes, it sure is. So what should they search in there? Just uh, Center for uh, Western Studies? or it's called, it's called From the Center. Oh, oh, okay. All right. From the Center. So From if, you the center. To, if you want to subscribe to Mr. Hodges' podcast, that's, that's right. an easy that's thing right. to remember. Um, and searching in iTunes or wherever. Make sure you subscribe. Don't just listen. Subscribe. The subscribes are a big help. Yeah, that's a big uh, help. That's right. We're finding that people are, uh, are enthused about it, listening to it. So we're encouraged by that. We've got a long way to catch up you guys, but we are trying. <laughs> well, <laughs> you are inspiring. Time. You're time. inspiring what you guys are doing at CRC. Oh, well, thank you. And of course, thanks for always being a part and speaking at conferences. We're looking forward to seeing you in Charleston this July and hearing from you and hearing you talk about music and so forth. Um, I'm very excited about that. Again, thank you so much for joining me for this, uh, this brief, brief uh, conversation about pop music. I'm sure we could go on much, much farther, much longer, rather. Oh, um, there's lots more to talk about. But but hopefully for the listeners, it was a... Uh, a good taste at least and got, got some good ideas. So I, I hope we'll see, hope we'll see you guys at the webinar coming up next Thursday. Yeah. And again, if you want to, um, if listeners want to sign up for that, you can go over to the Cersei website and under the events tab, there is uh, an, a webinar section and you can, you can click there and register for that. And there's posts about it on our Facebook page and in, in emails and things like that. If you're um, not 
don't follow us on Facebook, you can go over to uh, just search in Cersei Institute in the, in the search bar on Facebook and you'll find that. And we've been posting about that a couple times a week. So that is, once again, that is um, Thursday, May 31st, 31st. I believe, at 4 p.m. Eastern time. That's right. And, and the topic is, what is the stuff of music expression and early Western music? So, all right, Mr. Hodges, thank you. Um, and we will see you soon. My great pleasure. Good to talk to you, David. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.